Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. The season for watching and waiting is over. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is the light of the world, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Begin an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Let us pray. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. This is from Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is one who is mighty, has done great things for me, and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has, so, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade. All right. So, um, I know you've all said Merry Christmas several times, so let me say to you, expected longings fulfilled. I think it's got a shot at catching on. Uh, today is certainly a day of celebration, um, but it's also, it's not a day to forget fully what we are celebrating, that God became man, uh, and this glorious announcement, this proclamation uh, is, is really, it's not, I don't think stated anywhere as beautiful as it is through the words of Mary. Um, in her, what is called her Magnificat, sometimes called the Canticles or the Song of Mary. My suggestion would be, all right, I know it's Christmas Day and you're not taking assignments, classes are closed, uh, but my suggestion would be if you wanted to start off the new year in a, in a good way, there's lots of different passages to remember and memorize that will be helpful, and I would strongly recommend the Magnificat as 
uh, one of those passages to memorize, Luke 1, 46 through 55. And it's Mary's response to finding out, uh, not just to finding out, we're going to explore a little bit more, uh, but it's Mary's response that, that the Lord has chosen her to bear his only son. And that is um, pretty amazing. So that'd be a great passage to memorize. So what we've done through Advent is we've been looking at these uh, different figures that God brings to light through Luke. And today, uh, we're going to look at certainly not an unrecognized figure in all of history. However, uh, she would have been very unrecognized in history otherwise. There's nothing necessarily about her um, that would cause her to stand out. Jesus, uh, God looked on her and found favor in her humble heart. Um, and this is the beautiful story of the Virgin Mary, the Blessed Mother of Jesus. So what I want to do this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts from this, from her song, uh, from her response to God's mercy, and then uh, we will commune together, we will sing a couple of last songs together, and then we'll be on her way. Uh, but the thoughts I want to share is they reveal uh, Mary, as they reveal her heart, and also ultimately as they reveal the heart of God. Um, so first, this is the setting. And I think this is important. The angel has appeared to Mary and said, you will be with child. And Mary is astounded because though she is engaged to be Mary, she has held to the law of Israel. She has held to God's law. She is a virgin. She's, she is uh, engaged to be Mary, but she's not there yet. And so it says, right after she gets this announcement, that she left with haste. She booked it out of town. And she went to the hill country to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, here's what's kind of interesting here. Mary is very young with a miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth is very old with a miraculous pregnancy. And when Mary approaches... It says that Elizabeth's baby, who is, class, John, John the Baptist, right? Uh, when, she, when she meets up with Elizabeth the Baptist, uh, yeah? that was total spontaneity. All right. Um, that Elizabeth's baby leaps within her womb. And then Elizabeth proclaims, probably, it's probably, uh-oh, like, I don't know. Uh, but I bet Elizabeth was like, all right, and, and it says then that uh, Elizabeth proclaims a blessing over Mary. Blessed are you among women. One of God's greatest gifts are deep friendships in deep faith. Mary left with haste, probably because Mary was frightened. Not necessarily that Mary didn't trust God, but the community around her would probably be tough to convince. Right? So she leaves and flees to the hill country and goes to Elizabeth. And God was merciful to Mary in this. One, that Elizabeth had a good understanding of what it was like to be miraculously present, uh, pregnant, right? If there was one person around right around this time that could go, yeah, I, I've heard of that. 
it would be Elizabeth. And wasn't God gracious to give Mary her? And then two, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and God gave her supernatural insight that this was legit. This was real. Imagine the relief that Mary must have felt to come to Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth receiving her immediately and responding to her in love when Mary was probably in a very frightened, maybe anxious state. And here's the thing. Kids, let me tell you something. It's one thing to have friendships that are like, I don't care, you know, you do you. Whatever. Let me tell you something. That sounds great. I want a friend that just doesn't care about what I do, doesn't care about who I am. They just, they just accept me for who I am. There's a key in that that eventually gets old. When we say, I want a friend that doesn't care. And eventually, not caring can get old. Elizabeth is not a friend that doesn't care. Elizabeth is, is a friend that loves deeply. And when she sees Mary, she doesn't just say, yeah, you know what, you don't have to lie around here. We're all good, you, whatever. She, she speaks a blessing of God over her. Listen, I know sometimes Christian friendships can be the worst right? When we do it wrong, sometimes Christian friendships can be the worst. But in humility and with the work of the Holy Spirit, Christian friendships can be like the safest place on earth. God was gracious to Mary. Mary hadn't sinned, but I guarantee you the rest of the community thought different or would have. God was gracious to Mary in giving her Elizabeth. And Mary's response to Elizabeth's blessing is the Magnificat, the humble praise. God's greatest gift, his good gift, is it can be friendships, deep friendships in the faith. His greatest gift ultimately is himself. It's ultimately his presence. And, and then when that's experienced through deep uh, friendship, that's even better. Um, and by the way, I, I'm wearing a, a stupid shirt today. I realized when I looked down, I was like, I should probably explain this. Uh, I'm not like the Christian toy soldier for Jesus, um, but I wanted, I wanted, I didn't want anybody to feel like over, like underdressed. All right. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, Mary's response to Elizabeth uh, is, is humble praise. There's an internet debate and debacle that happens every year around this time. I thought it would lose steam, but it just doesn't seem to. Uh, the Theo bros keep it going. Around... The annual fight over the song, Mary Did You Know, which is a song that is obviously using a rhetorical device, asking a question, using that as a way to explain all that Christ is, all that he was, by phrasing it in the form of a question that really doesn't have anything to do with what Mary knew or didn't know. But it doesn't stop us from fighting about it. Okay? Uh, and this... It, it, it seems to find the same traction every year that, that parallels and comes close to uh, the debate of, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? We don't know all that Mary knew. Did Mary know what was happening? Yes. 
God told her. Also, I could say the same for the question, uh, what child is this? When you read through scripture, there's never the question of what child this is. It is very certain what child this is, which is amazing. Um, But I still love that song because it's a rhetorical device, right? We don't know all that Mary knew. But here's what happens. When her heart, being calmed and affirmed by the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit through her cousin Elizabeth, her response was to praise and magnify God. She felt the presence and care of God through Elizabeth and in all that she knew about God. And Mary knew a lot about God. Mary knew a lot about God. Mary knew scripture. Mary knew the stories of God. This was not unfamiliar to her. Mary is not simply rejoicing in optimism. She's not rejoicing going, okay, okay, it's going to be okay. Elizabeth hasn't kicked me out, so it's going to be fine. That's not it. She's rejoicing in the God she knows, the God of history, and what he has always done for his people. God has given us history, all right? Sometimes I feel like the the thing that drives me more crazy than anything is when people kind of drop a quote, Christians and non-Christians, when they kind of drop a quote and they're like, boom, there it is, proves everything. And, And I'm like, this is really dumb. This is a terrible quote, and, and you've taken it way out of context, and you have really shown your ignorance, and then, by God's grace, 90, 85% of the time, I delete my response and, and, don't, and don't post it. God has given us history. Scripture makes known the wondrous works and how he works. We're not given a formula. Other gods were given a formula. You were given a formula on what to do to how to manipulate them and how to get out of them what you wanted. Not this God. What we see over and over again is that God does his own bidding and it's often in ways that we wouldn't expect. But he has, he has always been consistently faithful and he can, be trust, he can be trusted. And Mary knew this. Mary knew that this is the God who rescues and saves his people, and he has looked upon the humble humble estate of her who is also in need of a savior, and his rescue plan is going to flow directly through her. God's greatest gift is his presence in himself. And finally, it is the humble of heart that get to experience these gifts from God. If the history of Israel shows us anything, it's that just having the right knowledge of God or just going through the right behavior patterns uh, that the law requires is not the same as knowing God. It is not the same as experiencing and knowing and trusting him. Um, God comes to the humble of heart, the poor in spirit. He rejects the proud. The, the self-sufficient. Because the self-sufficient, whether irreligious or religious, doesn't need God. They're fine. The call for us is to continue to be in humble of heart. We can't be like Boston. All right, I know. Now I got everybody's attention. All right, I'm a sports fan, okay? 
So bear with me a little bit. And I needed a little bit of filler, but it, just to, to get, like, get our juices pumping, all right? Uh, I'm a sports fan. Boston had kind of been the lovable losers in sports for quite a while. Celtics were dominant in the 80s. They had like three championships, but it had been a pretty rough drought for the city of Boston. And then in 2001, with a giant asterisk, uh, for those who know, the Patriots happened to uh, defeat what was known as the greatest show on turf, right? The St. Louis Rams. I don't know if you guys remember, we used to have a football team. Um, and, uh, and we're getting another one, Kakaw, all right? Uh, the St. Louis Rams, they defeated the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl. But even there, even there, like Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady at that point. And even there, it was like, it was still, I, I had to give a little bit of props because if, I don't know if anybody remembers this. When the Rams got introduced to the Super Bowl, it was like superstar after superstar. And they were all coming out of the, out of the uh, tunnel and it was like this big light show. Does anybody remember how the Patriots got introduced in 2001 at the Super Bowl? As a team. Wishing to be introduced as a team. And I was like, strike one. I know that's the wrong sport, but <laughs> touchdown one. Right? And I thought, man, now they'd probably be introduced as Tom Brady and the rest of the team. All right. But, so they did that. And, and then they won another Super Bowl in two, in two years later. And then in 2004, I don't know why St. Louis had to be the gateway to, to all of this stuff. 2004, uh, against our beloved Cardinals, the lovable losers, the Red Sox, snapped an 85-year drought, winning their first World Series since, 2008, uh, since 1918. Against us. Now, my father-in-law were at my father-in-law and I were at that game. And this is before we had texting and cell phones. Uh, well, this is before I knew how to text. It's still T9 at the time, um, and uh, I mean the Bible was written in T9, so that's how old that is. And uh, we both got offered money coming into the game. We didn't we didn't meet until we met at our seats. We both got offered money for our tickets coming into the game, and it was such a terrible game, uh, and we got swept. And we're both like, man, we should have taken the 400 bucks. Uh, Boston fans that were there were super humble. Even down to the last out, they were like, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. They would talk over and over again about the, how gracious St. Louis fans were. And honestly, it's because we, we had no chance, and we knew that. Um, but it was cool to see Boston, like, snap this 80, 86, technically, year drought. Um, and they were, Boston fans were humble and they were crying. And, and it was kind of, it was endearing. And then Boston just started winning everything. A couple more World Series, several more uh, Super Bowls. Bruins got in on it in 2011. I think even the Celtics won uh, another championship. And, and they quickly went from the lovable losers to just obnoxious. Right? It doesn't take much for humility to turn to pride. Mary knew the history of God's people. She knew when they were humble, and she knew when they were proud in a bad way, when they were filled with pride, when they had been brought low and in need of God's comfort and grace, and when they had experienced victory after victory and forgot that it was the God of their fathers who actually provided all of these things. 
She knew the history of how God dealt with surrounding nations of Israel, that God had blessed those who would bless Israel and welcome God's people, and God would curse those who would curse God's people. She knew that the earthly status did not uh, equate with true blessing, but that God's presence and his favor were his blessing. The danger of equating God's blessing simply with wealth and power and ease of life, Americans, is dangerous. Because it's a proud heart that doesn't need God anymore. And may that never be with us as a people. The incarnation of God through Mary's humble estate. Listen, this is hope for all of humanity. The incarnation is hope for all of humanity. I'm not being like universalistic here. I'm saying when Jesus comes as the lowest of the low, it is hope for all of humanity. This dignifies every station of life. Jesus is entering the world in this way, in the lowest and seemingly most obscure way. And that means that not one human being is not without value. God came as, as one of us. Like God didn't... I'm not going to get into that. I could. That's long, and we'll save that for another time. God came as a human being, and not only a human being, but the form of a servant, the lowest of the low. The God of the universe enters low enough that his loving arms can scrape and scoop even the lowest, even the bottom of the barrel that we may look at. Nobody is too low or too insignificant for the loving arms of Jesus to reach. The dangerous days for us as followers of Jesus, the dangerous days are not necessarily the ones that we may think. The dangerous days for us are not the days when we feel like we've messed up so much that our lives aren't significant enough to matter to God. The incarnation that God dwells in our spaces is the hope to anyone that feels the weight of this world. Let me say that again. The hope of the incarnation that God dwells amongst us as one of us That is hope to anyone who feels the weight of this world. The dangerous days, the dangerous days are when either in our religion or our rebellion, we see no need for a savior. Where we have either, we've got our, our stuff together and we're in good enough shape Or, I don't care, I'll do my own thing, I'll live my own life, and we don't see our need for a Savior. Our self-reliance and or our self-indulgence, those are the days to be careful of. For those in need of a Savior, refuge, Christ has come. And there is none so low that his loving arms can't reach. And so my hope and my prayer for this morning is that our hearts are filled with gratitude, that every gift we may receive would turn our hearts to praise, and that we would long for the day when we get to see and experience that Christ has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Let's pray.
Jesus, you have come, and we rejoice and celebrate that this morning. May our hearts be humbled. May we not be filled with pride or arrogance. May the gifts we open, may the fellowship that we rejoice in, may all of those things fill our hearts with deep gratitude. And if the, if, if the pain and the weight of this world stings a little bit more on days like today than other days, may we be filled with the hope that you have come to the lowest of the low and there is none so low that your loving arms can't reach. May our heads be lifted up, not by self-sufficiency or self-indulgence, but by the hope of the incarnation that you have walked in our shoes, that you know you're not indifferent. You know what it's like to be one of us. And that we, are, that we can be filled with hope in your life, death, and resurrection. Stir our minds, our hearts, and our affections. In Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.